Dave, Angus tells me that you're uh, you're in St Kitts. I am. Goodness me. <laughs> look out of the window, look out of the window. Oh, my goodness me. Oh, dear, it must be such a struggle staying happy there. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> anyway, so you swapped Central London for that. I mean, I think that's a mad decision. <laughs> I know. I mean, why would you? No, it's lovely. <laughs> Welcome back to the final episode of our epic three-part series, The Health, Wealth and Happiness Conversations. Here now for your listening pleasure, happiness, now and tomorrow, which comes off the back of the launch of our pandemic health, wealth and happiness report. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then I would suggest heading back to episode one, health. And if you want more information, head to lifesearch.com forward slash HWH and follow us in all of your favorite social media places. But enough from me. You've already heard Tom, CEO of LifeSearch, talking to Davinia, our wealth expert, about St. Kitts. Nice one, Dav. And they are joined as ever by Ali, Baz, Luke and Nina. So, here they are. When we talk about happiness, Ali, one one of the findings in the research was that uh, 31% of people found working from home stressful. I think the other way, obviously, the the flip side of that is that we can say that two-thirds of people you know, either found no difference in their either productivity or stress levels working from home or actually enjoyed it more. And I think what we've seen in the, certainly the way the the trends have, have panned out is that people, I think, have a, a differing reaction to the prospect of working from home, just basically based on their age and stage in life. That's Ali Miller, author of Life Search's Health, Wealth and Happiness Report who heads up the creative agency Fall of Man. And, you know, it's, it's not a massive revelation to find out that young people who are perhaps in, you know, more cramped urban areas at the beginning of their career, um, they're going to crave the office, they're going to crave the workplace because, you know, trends have moved in this direction to say that, um, you know, younger people actually begin to embrace and, and, and pine for the, the work family uh, while they delay having, you know, their, their own. And the, the working from home dynamic really does favour parents. Um, people have been able to claw back. I think we worked out that people have been able to claw back something like 44 minutes from the work day into the leisure day or into the downtime of the day. Um, so I think, I mean, as ever, it's a really mixed picture the way that the stats have panned out. But I think in terms of being able to create the most advantageous environment for working from home, I know that certain organisations check in with people's mental health on a day-to-day basis. Are you having a three out of five day or a four out of five day or a one out of five day? What can we do to, you know, improve things? So I think that there are solutions waiting there for us. We we obviously just haven't had the the impetus or we haven't been forced to tap into those solutions at this scale, you know, in any time in history. That's a, a fascinating set of insights. Uh, at LifeSearch, we've... Um actually had for a number of years a team that we call our Listening Ears team. And actually, there's a podcast. Can I plug another podcast on our podcast? Uh, I certainly can. The uh, previous podcast on this channel interviewed them. Uh, and it's uh, it's an amazing insight into how much good a simple structure, which doesn't provide full counseling, just provides a listening ear and guidance to people who are just having a terrible day or having a few too many bad days and who are therefore struggling. And Frankly, we've all been there at some point in this cycle. That's been a fascinating way in which we've we've managed to help our people uh, with their mental health. I think what what that leads us on to is the question of contentment. Now, the research found that just under half of us all, 46%, are less happy now than they were at the start of the pandemic. What would be your tips for those people 
still badly affected in terms of their, their contentment. What would be your tips for achieving greater contentment? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting one. I think happiness as a as a whole is going to continue to go down because we um, we're living in a society where everyone compares to the neighbours, compares to strangers. That's Lou Gambler, our happiness coach and founder of Andy's Man Club. If I look back um, at my my granddad, my Irish granddad, he looked in paper every week to see who died. So he got weirdly just what he used to do, and he go attend the funeral out of a mark of respect if he knew him. But he wouldn't have known what holiday people were going on, what shoes they just bought, what what they just had, or what job they interviewed they had. And I think we're living in a world where where what, what is happiness, you know? And I think it's a mis mis sold conception that everyone can be happy. Happiness comes and goes. Tips for contentment. I don't think there is tips. I don't think there's activities for contentment. I think there's one one mindset shift, and it's what an eleven year old girl told me in Burnley. Um, when she told me a favourite quote, which was, when you appreciate everything that you have, you have everything that you need. And, and I think too much now, everyone's looking extrinsically uh, rather than inside. You know, it's an internal job, it's contentment. It's like, what do you have in your life? Who do you have? It's quite easy to look at everything that you don't have. It's easy to look at everything that you can't have right now. And that's been the biggest thing at pandemic. We've been told everything that we can't have, but the ones who've succeeded in this pandemic mentally, they're the ones who've gone, okay, I can't go to gym, but I'll do an own workout. Okay, I can't do this, so I'll do that. Um, there's a lot of activities that we are able to do, um, but it's easy to get bogged down with the things that we can't do in it. So for me, contentment, it comes out of appreciation, it comes out of gratitude. And I see these type of words getting thrown around everywhere nowadays, which, which sounds amazing, but but I'm talking about like real gratitude, like genuinely like feeling what you're saying and like feeling on a daily basis and building on that. It's easy to get bogged down in it with everything that we can't have. So that'll be mine. I think happiness is going to continue to dwindle unless we, we do get a grip of of that, that thing between his ears and start to look at the things that we do have. I completely agree with what you're saying. And actually that 11-year-old that you spoke to is wise beyond her years and, and really sounds like she's got an amazing foundation for her entire life. But I think I actually would challenge or counter the point that I, that there isn't a formula for achieving contentment because there, maybe there isn't a formula per se, but I definitely think that it's not, and, and this is kind of tough love, Dav speaking, I don't think it's okay for us as adults to say, you know, we, we have no control over our contentment. So your point about gratitude, I think is spot on, but I think that there are practical things that we can do um, to to help us to recognize that and it might be spending five minutes a day gratitude journaling which may sound like a woo-woo thing to do but when you start to write things down and you see those things compound over days and weeks and months and then you read them back it's that can have an you know the feeling the overall sense of well-being that you get from you know reflecting on the fact that things may not necessarily be as bad as how you've catastrophized them in your mind that's powerful I think there's also some discipline that we need to exercise over what we allow ourselves to consume because nobody's forcing social media down our throats we can delete the apps we can um, control how much time we spend on various apps and so I think sometimes I think we it's easy for us to step into the realms of oh you know I went on social media and I saw my friend doing this or that and so I think we have to take some responsibility for the extent to which we allow that to pollute our minds and assault our senses we have to take a step back and say I'm not going on there because I feel much better when I reflect on what's happening within my life and reflect on the things that I'm able to control and, you know, see the joy in that. I completely agree about journaling. I, I brought out a journal called BU Journal. I'm not plugging it. And I, I completely encourage people to do that exact same thing in the morning. Um, but where, where like, you're talking about tough love, wouldn't it be great to get to a point uh, where you can go on social media and it not affect you? That's what I'm saying. So, like, rather than try to 
put stuff off. So like, no, okay, I'm not. For example, if you're on a diet, like if you restrict yourself completely where you never eat bad food at all, like I don't think that's quite quite good for you, is it? Where you've got to be completely everything controlled. What I'm saying is, is be able to go on social media and if your mindset says, I see that my friend is on holiday and he's having an amazing time and looks like he's got a perfect girlfriend, perfect life, but accepting that I've also been on holiday, took a picture of my girlfriend, had an argument straight after and I want, okay, <laughs> accepting that so that's what i'm saying so it's like a level up so you're saying okay like if at first you maybe have to control what you're uh, seeing on social media but when you can get to a point where you know that behind every picture is just a life just like yours that's when i think that that you become content that's why i'm saying look inside first and anything external doesn't affect what's going on inside because you don't allow it to because you understand it you accept it you're self-aware enough to go shit like i know that that uh, uh, whatever they've bought or whatever the thing isn't going to make them happy. Like, and I don't need to try chase that to make me happy because contentment's an inside job. So I completely agree. Um, but I think, yeah, you've got to get to a point where you've got that control, but but in a sense that you don't have to completely limit yourself to everything. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I agree. I know you can actually attribute, uh, I guess, a psychometric scoring to the, the value of writing a gratitude list. It's, it's proven to, you know, a, a kind of score degree that, that that helps one's mental well-being for the for the day or for the week. I think there's an interesting stat that came out in the consumer research that we did to underpin the report, which kind of sits somewhere in the middle of what you're both saying, and it's that um, trust in social media influencers has actually taken a real nosedive during the pandemic. And social media influencers, I mean, they're, they're a whole brand architecture relies on public trust, especially the, the heaviest social media users are younger people and women. And they've lost most ground in those two groups. So it, it could be uh, could be the pandemic effect. It might write itself in, you know, a few weeks or months time. Perhaps they've been caught up in the, you know, the, the tailwinds of, of the fake news and of the, you know, the, the antivirus, pro-virus, anti-vaccine, pro-vaccine kind of rhetoric that we've all been bombarded with. But there's something quite interesting happening, I think, on social media where the, the, the trust levers are kind of moving in, in directions that they haven't necessarily been seen for the last 10 years in the social media era. And I think it'll be quite interesting to see how that kind of bears out. Now, I was just going to say that kind of, I think in the world of fitness where I come from, it's you know pre-pandemic it was like it was super motivational and it was super like high energy and it was super in your face and it's like if you set yourself a goal and you can lose this or you can do this and that's not what people want right now <laughs> the voice you're hearing right now is baz moffitt life search's health coach women's health expert and former olympic rower they're like oh my god like so that that was how you think back to that first announcement that, of Boris Johnson when he said, like, we're going into lockdown, like all the fitness people got on and there was like, you know, there was Joe Wicks bouncing around and everyone was like, all these celebrities were getting on the bandwagon. But then over time, people don't want that. And they were using exercise for different reasons. They didn't want to be beasted by a session. And I think that and they stopped enjoying what the influencers, the fitness influencers anyway, were saying. And I think it was those that were like, those that were authentic, genuinely authentic and said, God, you know what? Like, I'm I'm really struggling. I really don't like this. They're the people that like that got cut through, not the people that just pretended that they they were all great and they 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 presented in full makeup and like full, you know, fake tans and and bouncing around. It was just like, oh come on, you need to connect with what what real people are experiencing here. You know, you've t- said the one word that I th- that has been going around my head throughout the pandemic, which is is authentic. I do think we've automatically all become much more ourselves. Dav, you talked about the, 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 the mum you and the work you. Uh, and 
the fact that you can now blend the two quite happily. And at Life Search, one of the best things I ever said was was in the first weeks. I said, Life Search does not mind if your our customers hear your children screaming. It's okay. Put them on your knee, and I bet you the customer will empathize with you because they've probably got kids too. So don't worry about it. So authenticity and being real, I think, has been greatly encouraged. What really worries me, and uh, Nina, I don't know from your perspective, you, you're a crystal ball gazer of, of the highest order. I, I, how can authenticity survive the reintroduction of the real world? How can we? Uh, how can we keep the interesting bits of? good that have come uh, into our psyches through the uh, suffering of the pandemic, uh, as opposed to just go back to the way we were before? Because I don't think anyone ever, anyone really wants to, in a, in a helter-skelter, uh, flat out all the time. But uh, how, how can we avoid that happening to us? There's various, I guess, ways to, to approach that question, I guess, from the sort of, you know, crystal ball gazing economics aspect. You know, we have been trying to answer questions like, you know, most people that have been working from home want to keep working from home at least part of the time. Um, even if, you know, doing so entirely, they've found it stressful and unpleasant. They still, I think still, there's quite a large number of people that want to keep some of the, the features that have arisen. And just in case you're wondering, that's CEBR CEO, economist Nina Scarrow talking. So I, I think sort of in the next period, and, you know, we mentioned earlier, um, a lot of us are hopeful that this is kind of the last phase of the of the pandemic, whether that's going to end up being true or or not. It, it's hard to say. But if we assume for a second that it is, the, the next big question is how much of our new way of life is here to stay and how much of it is going to to fall by the by the wayside. And and, you know, how do we consciously make sure that the parts of, of our, you know, the new habits that we're going to end up keeping are the ones that are we're going to to want to keep. And it's also not very clear cut to say, well, which are the habits that we want to keep? You know, if you are someone that has absolutely loved working from home, if you're someone that has really enjoyed that, then for you, that's something you're going to want to try to keep. If you're somebody who is, I don't know, a dry cleaner or a local lunch shop that's located in the middle of a bunch of tall business buildings, then you're going to hope that that's something that's going to turn out to be a really, you know, short-term impact of the pandemic. So it's very hard to to say what's what we want to keep, what we want to to go back to the old ways. Well, I, I wonder if that doesn't start to draw us to a conclusion if I ask the others then. So what should we keep to improve the uh, the sum of human happiness? Uh, and Ali, I wonder, does the... Uh, does the uh, uh, research throw up any particular aspects uh, of, of life that have increased happiness? As always in these situations, you do get something of a tale of, you get a fat middle and you get two extremes. And the, the, the fat middle was that for a lot of people, life didn't change all that much. And then at one extreme, which I'll go into, you, you had things that got notably worse. And for another extreme, you get things that got considerably better. The better you got depended on your starting point. And the starting point on various socioeconomic variables or measures. Uh, if you had savings in the bank, if you had a decent job, if you had you know, some degree of security, be it in your house or whatever. And the more people you had around as well was another variable. The more people you had around, the, the, you know, the more likely you were to have sort of almost enjoyed the lockdown experience. There was an episode of Newsnight that I vividly remember at the very beginning of the pandemic where Emily Maitlis went into something of a filibuster 
Um, and she talked about how the rhetoric at the time was that rich and poor, the pandemic was affecting everyone equally. And she she went off on a tangent and said that's absolutely not the case. The BBC came in for a whole lot of criticism on the grounds that it breached its impartiality or it got a little bit political. And, and in a sense it did, but there was nothing wrong in what she was saying. So there is a material link between what people experience in the pandemic and their starting point. And I think it's it's one of these things that possibly needs to, you know, be addressed uh, in, in the recovery, whatever shape and form that takes, is that the, you know, we know the socioeconomic groups that were hardest affected by by the, the measures taken in COVID's name and gig economy workers, let's say, people who live in, in busy households, urban areas, who are reliant on public transport, key workers, health workers, they were more exposed to not only the, the, the pandemic or the, the virus itself, but the measures taken in its name and most likely to be adversely affected you know, in, in the wake. And these are things that, these are kind of smaller groups, uh, smaller subsets of subsets, but the, the extreme experiences, the extreme pandemic experiences, uh, which aren't necessarily going to reflect in the national averages and the indices, are the ones where people really need to put the magnifying glass and focus resource because... That's where the real heart is going to be felt, I think, in six months, 12 months, 18 months' time. It's interesting uh, that uh, we saw, according to the global stats, that the UK's sort of happiness plummeted further than other countries uh, and is now bouncing back faster than other countries. It seems we're uh, we're, we're a bit of a yo-yo. Any ideas on what society, uh, you can pin it, pin it all on the government if you like, but any ideas what society... Uh, and what individuals and what communities and government? What is the what is the uh, catchphrase? Build back better. Um, that you know, that sounds all right to me as a concept. What on earth does it mean? What what should we all be doing to build back better? Not just ourselves, but those around us and those we know who've been hardest hit. I think I, I think it's about about looking at lessons that, that we've learned. Yes, I think some of your best lessons in life come from your hardest times, don't they? Um, I know in my life as. Anyway, like any any shit I've been through, that's when I've learned the biggest lessons. Um, I know for me, I can only speak personally, I know that I'll be spending a lot more time, quality time with my kids, I'll be a lot more present than I have been. You know, I were very guilty in past of have not. So, um, but what we can all do ourselves is take stock, take stock of what, what you've done. I know a lot of people where I'm from, we've, we've loved getting outdoors. Um, we are very lucky where, where I live in Yorkshire that, you know, we're in God's own country, aren't we? And we can literally get out into moors at any point. I've seen families out walking and doing stuff that they wouldn't normally do. You know, where kids used to have iPads stuffed in the face and, and, and adults be on phones. Yeah, it's still still there. But I think people are more aware of, of the benefits of getting outdoors, enjoying nature. So when you're bouncing back, I, I said two weeks ago, just before the world opened up, it's going to open up and it's going to open up real quick, real quick, and it's going to get quite overwhelming. I know personally, my missus has gone, she's got her own business, she's gone back to work. I've got kids club every single night. Um, diary's gone from being pretty flexible to pretty much uh, down at a minute. And and it, it, that that creates its own pressures and stresses. So it's like just just taking stock, taking a minute just to realise like what, what were good, don't lose sight of them Saturday, Sundays with your family. If you've got family, if you aren't connecting with friends, you're allowed to go back outdoors now. And and just looking at what's important in your life, um, getting back to those roots, um, it'd be quite easy quickly to get back into a material game, to chasing stuff, to being out there all the time before you know it. Uh, and suddenly those lessons, it'll be five years ago, you'll be talking about this thing called a pandemic that happened um, and I was all back to normal. And my question is, is what do you want your normal to be? I'm just going to echo really what Luke said. Like a year ago, we had to self-isolate for two weeks and I had a four and a five-year-old and we live in a flat in London. And I was like, holy shit, how on earth are we going to manage that? 
And it was amazing. They absolutely thrived throughout the whole of this lockdown. And it wasn't because they were sat on iPads or phones all day at all. They just played and played and played. And they slept together in their bed. They like they 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 bonded as brothers and it has just been so good for them. And and it just even when we came out of that two weeks of lockdown. I was like, all right, we're going out now. They're like, nah. I'm like, are you kidding? Like, we've been stuck in this flat. And it just, and since then, it's like, we just have days when we stay in our pyjamas all day and we have amazing days. And it's back, it's taken away the pressure of me of like what I need to do to be a good parent. It's like, you know what? Like the kids just want you. They don't, they don't, they just want you to be with them. I'm, you know, competitive being an ex-athlete. And and I get pulled into this like, oh, all these other kids are doing all these clubs and all these other parents are doing this. And I'm like, you know what? I actually know what our family needs now. And I and I think without this lockdown, I would never I would never have trusted how little we need to do. Um, and now I really do. I've got a, a wee boy who went from four to five. In fact, just as lock, the first lockdown hit, he went from three to four and then recently went from four to five. And another one instantly on the way. My wife is nine months pregnant right now. Um, and as a side note, I kind of, thank you, Luke, I kind of thought that there would be more of a spike in a birth rate during COVID than we actually saw. In fact, the opposite happened. The UK's, well, certainly the UK's birth rate went south, whereas I think a lot of people possibly expected that for obvious reasons it might do the opposite. But I think what I found quite interesting was my little boy who 25% of his life now has been during COVID times. That side of me, that, that side can troubles me slightly into how that will pan out. You've got a whole generation of kids who have, have, have delayed exams, deferred exams. Remember the fiasco from, you know, 12 months ago or, or slightly less. So that side of things, you know, possibly the repercussions of that could still be in store. And it's, it's worth sort of, um, you know, bearing that in mind that a whole generation of students have had their education absolutely upset. My, my little boy is, is at the kind of nursery stage. So his de- developmental stages, luckily for us, I mean, he's been going through all that in-house. So we've been able to spend just that bit more time without, as people have said, without the pressures of feeling that we need to send him to every after-school club under the sun because the Joneses are doing that. I do know that, you know, the, there is a generation of, of students who are possibly going to find themselves on, on the back foot in days to come as a result of the pandemic experience. And, you know, that's a potential hurdle that's going to have to be addressed. I don't argue with you at all in anything you've said, but I, I do think that the protecting the space, the time at home, the bonding you will have done with your wee boy uh, is an entirely different level to the bonding I did with Angus when he was uh, that age, because I was running around like a mad dog, running a business, having meetings 24-7, and, uh, yeah, making sure I I did whatever fatherly duties I was ordered to do. Whereas um, a year uh, where where, uh, your children have been in your presence and you in theirs for a whole year, that's, wow, when last did that happen to uh, to mankind? Mm. Both parents. I mean, that's a thing. Uh, and I would say for all the academic struggles that, that, you know what, academics, it's a race. You just you just run it as best you can. and uh, You come out the other end as educated as you are and you make of it what you will. 100%. And if you have to spend another year getting your doctorate, well then, geez, good luck to you. Uh, or even getting an O-level. The, but for me, the, the sheer quality that you've had injected 
into your life uh, as a young person by your parents for this year. I mean, there are a thousand different experiences and I'm painting a very rosy one. Indeed, we've, we've all painted pretty rosy ones and I realize that is not true of, of, of a chunk of society and any number of individuals. But for those who have had a conventional family time through this, uh, I think there's, it's just way more, way more they're going to get out of being with their parents all this time than they would have got out of a year in school. Um, even if their education did slow down a bit. Um, But hey, maybe that's a natural optimism. I think the thing for me is that we shouldn't feel under pressure to immediately ricochet back into our old lives. I think, you know, we've got a really good opportunity now to pause and reflect on the things we want to keep and the things we want to get rid of. Um, And so we just have to be quite ruthless in terms of saying these are the things that were really good about the pandemic. Not everything has been terrible. You know, we've got to reflect on the things that we really want to keep and, you know, protect that, just guard it furiously so that we don't feel compelled and that we don't just drift and then years later go, how did I find myself here in this job, in this area of the world that I don't necessarily want to live in, in this relationship that has been dead for 20 years? Like, whatever the situation might be, (laughs) you know, really just being mindful about all aspects of our lives now and not just allowing life to happen to us I think is really important I think what you've just said there is it's about it I think it's going to be harder to protect the space and do less than it is to do more like it's easy to fill everything up isn't it like to put more and more and more in and actually I've now realized how 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 much effort you have to put in to doing to doing nothing yeah absolutely but it's so important so important And there you are. That's your lot, folks. A massive thank you to Ali Miller, Baz Moffat, Davinia Tomlinson, Luke Ambler, Nina Scarrow, and Tom Bakery for giving us such an interesting conversation. And a final reminder that if you want to learn more about LifeSearch's Health, Wealth, and Happiness pandemic report, then head to lifesearch.com forward slash HWH or follow us in all the usual social places. This has been Searching for Elephants. And if you want to hear more of the conversations we're having inside and outside LifeSearch, then you know what to do. Like, subscribe, and give us that beautiful five-star review. So thank you all very, very much indeed from uh, me and LifeSearch. And uh, lots of love. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a good day, everyone. Thank you. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. You too. See you. Bye. Searching for Elephants is mixed and composed by Patrick Bagry, and the show was created and edited by me, Angus Bagry.